This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode 58 with guest Christine Hassler. All links and resources can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 58. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, Ass Kickers, welcome to episode 58. So excited again to have you here. And I just want to say a quick thank you for being here. Whatever you're doing, if you're working out, hanging out in your kitchen, at work, in the car, whatever it is, I am so incredibly grateful and honored that you are here with me today. So I want to tell you a quick bit about our guest. Christine Hassler is the author of Expectation Hangover, The 20-Something Manifesto, and 20-Something, 20-Everything. She left her successful job as a Hollywood agent to pursue a life she could be passionate about. For over a decade, as a speaker, retreat facilitator, and life coach, she has been sharing her passion to ease suffering. Christine believes once we get out of our own way, we can show up to make the meaningful impact we are here to make. And y'all, I read her book and it speaks to us, this community, so much. And so I knew I had to have her on. We talk about definitely some things that I know that my audience struggles with, things like the inner critic, control, letting go, how to actually feel your feelings, because nobody has trouble with that, right? And before we get started, If you don't know already, we have officially opened up registration for the Tanning Tacos and Transformation Retreat in Mexico if you want to come hang out with me live next spring. And yes, it's way ahead of time, but we wanted to open up registration early to make sure that we can have an awesome payment plan for everyone. And spots are limited for this retreat. So if you want in, make sure that you get in for two reasons. A, spots are limited, and B, Early bird registration is over on the 31st. You can still register, but the price is going to go up a little bit. Even if I'm not even sure if we're going to have any more spots open. So if you go to triple T retreat.com and that's the word triple, the letter T retreat.com. All of the information is there. Um, All the links again are of course on our show notes as always for this episode. And so with that, here's Christine. Hey there, ass kickers. So happy and excited to have you here. This is episode 58, and I am here with Christine Hassler. You just heard about her and her fancy bio. So, hey, Christine, say hi. Hi, I'm happy to be here. We are so excited to talk to you about. I was, it was kind of funny, everybody. I was explaining to Christine, she asked me, like, who's your audience? And I was explaining to her who y'all are because, wink, wink, I'm watching you. I know who you are. And Christine gets you exactly because she wrote the book Expectation Hangover. And um, I know nobody listening ever, ever creates high expectations and has trouble when they fall short and, you know, things don't go as planned. So that's what we're ready to talk about. You ready, Christine? Mm-hmm. Okay. I love this topic. I know. We probably are going to have one of those. We could talk all day about this. So oh, let's get it on. Okay. So in the beginning of of your book, Expectation Hangover, you talk about how you 
you know, you had this kind of like idyllic life, you know, you graduated from college, you moved to Los Angeles, got the swanky job in Hollywood, rubbing elbows with A-listers, and you say you were miserable. Even, I think you said, to the point of trying to talk yourself into liking your job. Um, and I love that you said, I mean, I don't love it. I don't love that you were suffering, but it's just so <laughs> common, I think, that you you assumed that your worthiness and happiness would be delivered to you, you know, up on a silver platter, if you will, mm -hmm. when you accomplished your goals and it didn't happen. So can you talk to us about that moment when you realized all of that? Yeah. 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 Because if you follow a checklist, right, it's supposed to be delivered on a, a silver platter. Like that's that's the way life works, right? Hello, worthiness. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I have to say, I'm so grateful for my suffering. Like I'm so, so grateful. And, and my, my big mission um, is to ease suffering on the planet with compassion and love so everyone can step into their full potential and make the difference they're here to make. And, you know, I'm, I'll answer your question, but I just had to touch upon this. The original definition of the word passion is suffering, the passion of the Christ. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I wrote about it in Expectation Hangover because I was like, wow, this is fascinating. We've evolved the word passion from suffering to something we love, and I truly believe that so much of what we love comes from our suffering. So this amazing life that I live doing work that honestly, like, I could cry about, I love so much, like, I feel so blessed to do the work that I do, um... Sorry, it just moves me. But it came from, it totally comes from my suffering. So I'm so grateful and I'm so grateful now that I have the tools to deal with suffering or expectation hangovers so that my time between suffering gets longer and the time I spend really in an expectation hangover gets shorter. So, you know, for me... So much of my life was driven by massive insecurity. I had a, a tough upbringing, not family-wise, but socially. Um, there was, yeah, I hate Christine Club. I was teased. I was a super late bloomer. So at a very young age, I, you know, my kind of core wound that formed a misbelief, and all of us have like sort of some core things that happen that form these misunderstandings that become like the background music for our entire life, um, consciously or unconsciously. And the background music that was always playing in my story is something's wrong with me and I'm not likable. Mm -hmm. And whenever we have one of those stories, you know, our ego, which is all based in survival, and since we, we aren't necessarily looking for food and shelter these days, you know, how we what, what we're trying to protect and what we're trying to keep alive is our, is our ego. So to keep that alive, what I had to do is come up with what I call a compensatory strategy. And I, I outline all these in the book because there are many different types of compensatory strategies. But for me, it was overachieving. I'm like, mm -hmm. all right. If people aren't going to like me, if I'm going to sit alone in the cafeteria, if I'm, if my mom's going to write me a note to get out of PE because I was such a late bloomer and go be a library aide instead, then I better be successful. So I became, you know, addicted to getting straight A's and that, that drive really, really pushed me. I went to a great college. I graduated, graduated early and then I moved out to the place where all desperately insecure people go, which is Hollywood. And I was like, okay, like I'll try to prove myself here. And I, I did. I worked my way up. I was the youngest ever female agent. And kind of everything came crashing down around me in my mid-20s, where in a period of eight months, I left my job, went into massive amounts of debt, got very, very, very sick, um, so much so that they weren't able to diagnose what was wrong with me, uh, got estranged from my family for a while, and then got dumped six months before my wedding. So I lost career, uh, money, family, love, and health, all in like wow. one kind of like... It was un it was like an eight month period, so that was my quote unquote bathroom floor moment, um, 
And ever since then, it's been, I, you know, I did a pivot in that moment. Ever since then, it's been a completely different thing that has inspired me versus motivated and drove me. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I'm going to quote the book, too, when you say the thing about an expectation hangover is that it's never just about the issue we're currently feeling hungover about. It triggers all kinds of juicy stuff from our past that has not yet been resolved. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of assuming that might have happened during your bathroom moment and a little bit beyond. So can you give us some examples of what stuff might be triggered? Oh, sure. I mean, anytime we experience an expectation hangover, it really is an opportunity. It's like the universe bringing us this lesson to heal stuff we haven't healed from our past. So like for me in that instance, so much of what I had never healed was rejection, you know, feeling rejected. So much of what I would never healed, I had a lot of health problems too as a kid. So I believe that I was, you know, constantly sick. So it was another opportunity to heal that. The other thing, um, especially, you know, the health stuff, it was a, a undiagnosable autoimmune disorder. That's what I was diagnosed with. Now, here's the thing. An autoimmune disorder is basically the body negating itself, you know, and how the, the psycho-emotional component, because I'm all about mind-body healing and I've healed so many of my ailments, including a 20-year addiction to antidepressants, all through spiritual, emotional, mental work. And what I've learned is that things like autoimmune disorder their textbook with people that are incredibly hard on themselves. Mm -hmm. So my self-criticism was making me sick. Now, here's the tricky thing about self-criticism, because I know a lot of y'all out there are real hard on yourselves. It's effective. It works. You know, when we're hard on ourselves, when we're comparing ourselves, all those things, like, we get things done. So it can make us very outwardly successful. And often we don't realize how hard we're being on ourselves, because it can be subtle. It can be little things like, oh, you could have done that better. Mm-hmm, or, or mm-hmm. oh, like that wasn't quite perfect. You know, it doesn't have to be, you're a piece of shit. You know, it can be very subtle, but still incredibly dangerous. So for me, that particular expectation hangover was an opportunity to start dealing with so much of my unprocessed, like anger and, and shame and sadness and grief and really deal with things like rejection and, and health issues. And, and also, um, you know, I think a broken heart, anytime we, a relationship ends when we don't want it to end, it's an incredible opportunity to look at our relationship with ourself. Yeah. You know, I did not have a healthy relationship with myself, which made me hard to be with, which is why he broke up with me. You know, when I tell that story, people are like, what a jerk. And I'm like, no, he was my angel. Right. First I of all, feel the same way about yeah. a similar situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like looking back, I, I wouldn't want to be married to him. I don't think we were, you know, made for each other in that way. But, oh, my God, he was so my spiritual teacher. And, and our spiritual teachers are people like our parents our exes, you know, it's not just, it's not just the gurus right. whose books we read. It's the people that just like trigger all this inside of us. So we have an opportunity to look within. And, you know, I really encourage anybody, anytime you're in an expectation hangover, not to ask, why is this happening? Because that just keeps you in victim. And it's not very empowering. Mm-hmm. Instead, ask, what am I learning? What oh, yeah. am I learning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I encourage people to kind of put a container around it because what I don't know if you found the same thing, but I have found really high achieving women. Sometimes they bring that with them into personal development because, <laughs> because, you know, it takes one to know one. I've done this where it's like something happens and like right away you're like, all right, what can I learn? And it's like, girl, you still need to feel the grief and the sadness around totally. it. But put a cap on that. Totally. And, um, I think it's different for everyone. People want to do the spiritual bypass and be like, what's the lesson? What's the blessing? 
And sometimes what we're learning is to feel. Mm -hmm. Most people do not know how to release emotions. Absolutely. And, and so they feel things like irritability, anxiety, depression, things like that, which is, you know, all suppression mechanisms. You know, in so many of the, the retreats that I, that I lead, I create a space for women to feel anger, to feel real grief, and I teach them how to release it so it doesn't end up being recycled. Mm-hmm. And it's so important, especially for women, like we, our emotions are, are sacred, and there's so much information in them, and I truly believe so many of the reasons women have a, adrenal depletion, fertility issues, depression, weight gain, all this stuff is because we are emotional beings, you know, all humans are, but women especially, like we are sensitive, we pick up a lot of things, and if we don't have a healthy way to really release our emotions versus recycle them, which means suppressing them or kind of sort of feeling them, but judging them all the way, like you might be thinking, oh, I cry, like I release my feelings, but I would, I would bet that when you cry, there's this voice inside of you going, why am I still crying? This is so awful. I look ugly when I cry. I want mm-hmm. this to be over. Like there's this judgment commentary. And in order to release our emotions, we have to just let them move through us and be in this place of compassion where there's this part of us that's like, it's okay, honey, just let it out. Just let it out. And, and we ride the waves of our emotions rather than identify with them or try to suppress them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I did remember what I was going to say before about the inner critic, but we'll go back to that because I think what you just said is a great segue for my next question. And, and I am with you a thousand percent that I, I feel like culturally we're not brought up, even though women are looked at as being emotional and, and things like that. But I think that I don't know if it was just our generation when it started, um, probably even going back, but we were not most of us, I believe, were not brought up to actually feel our feelings, especially outwardly. And and I'd, I would, I didn't even grow up in a house where I knew what that looked like. I grew mm-hmm. up in a very happy house, but that was about it. It's like it didn't matter like what was going well or what was not going well. We just didn't talk about it. Yep. And it's kind of a recipe for disaster. But I, I, you also have a section – um, on things that don't work to cure the expectation hover, hangover, including numbing and pep talks. But I'd love to talk to you about the whole being strong concept. Mm. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I, I think that our culture validates us for being strong and soldiering on and the whole get her done. And yep. what do you, what harm do you think being strong does to us? Oh my gosh. Hold on. I got to take a sip of water. <laughs> I needed to like stretch and do some calisthenics. I know. First. Seriously, I might come up on your soapbox, boxes. girl. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing: being strong, like you said, is completely, completely overrated, and especially for women, it throws us totally in our masculine. And I think, again, like so many women, why we're suffering is because we're not really living in our feminine. And we can bookmark that and go back to it later. Um, But the whole being strong thing, it takes so much suppression to be strong and to put on that mask. And when when I ask somebody how they are and they say, oh, I'm fine. And that voice inflects like, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. Fine. Fine. I'm like, oh, my God. Ticking time bomb in there. Like, this is going to combust. You know, when I say in find, I, I, the acronym is feelings inside not expressed. Mm-hmm. So that whole thing of being strong, it's like we're so concerned about what other people think. And, and also we're scared of our own emotions because we don't know, necessarily know right. what to do with them. And we think just pushing it away is the answer. But it's like if you've ever been in a swimming pool and you try to hold a super inflated beach ball underwater. You I use that same metaphor. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Soul sisters. Perfect. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And eventually it like splashes you in the face, right? Right in the nose. <laughs> and it hurts. 
then so I always I, just say like eventually it's gonna come up somewhere. It's gonna in the come pool. up. Exactly. And it's going to be worse. And so the more we suppress and the more not only, okay, not only does that take away precious energy that we could be using to create things, to love more in the world, to serve more in the world, because we only have a certain amount of energy and it takes a lot of freaking energy to be strong and suppress. But it also can create, you know, it's toxic. This is what creates illness. It truly does in our body. And and I think that we have a vulnerability. I mean, Brene Brown, God bless her. She's given it, you know, a better reputa- reputation. But people misunderstand vulnerability as being weak and falling apart. And no, vulnerability is about being real. It's about being authentic. And it's not just about airing, like, everything that's going wrong with me and, and your dirty laundry and, like, all On the Twitter, stuff that you're, quote, unquote, ashamed. It's just about being authentic. And it's about being, like, wow, like, Oh my gosh, like I I just lost my job. I'm really scared. Mm-hmm. And I'd love some support or, or wow, like my child is having a tough time in school and I don't I don't I'm feeling like I'm feeling as a mom. You know, or I just, you know, got my heart broken and I'm really sad. Mm-hmm. And being able to be vulnerable and be tender and be compassionate and when we do those things, we also drop into our feminine. And we all have masculine and feminine inside of us, and it's just as important for men. But it's like dropping into our heart and getting out of our head and allowing ourselves to to not to value authenticity and vulnerability over strength. And, and honestly, when I look at the people in my life, you know, um, people that are necess- that are strong that have that I've got it all together, I'm not that close to them because there's <laughs> an intimacy I can't get to. But the people in my life who are vulnerable and soft and real with me, I feel like soul family. There's an instant connection because there's an intimacy that's established. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I I agree again a thousand percent. And I feel like I don't feel like this gets talked about a whole, whole lot. At least I don't see it out there. And when I saw it in your book, I was like, oh, my gosh, we're going to talk about that because I just – I know personally in my own experience, you know, I had my own um, moment of being on the bathroom floor and I remember coming out of that and I would talk to people about it. And as I was starting to heal over and over and over again, people would say, you're so strong. I admire your strength so much. And you know what? Like I got really fucking tired of hearing that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. I just for once <laughs> want, and you know what? And it's not, they're not wrong for it. Like we just don't, right. I feel like not only do we not know very well how to express our emotions, we don't know how to be with other people's emotions. I mean, how can we, like, if we don't right. know how to be with our own, how, how, how are we going to be with other people's? And so I'm not making those people wrong, but it's like, I wish that I had this, str- I didn't have the tools or the strength at that time to just to look someone in the face and say, yep. I'm not strong. And this yep. is all smoke and mirrors. And I yep. am terrified and devastated and don't know what to do. I can barely yeah. get out of bed in the morning. Like that's what yeah. I really, that was what was happening. But I didn't dare say that to anyone because I got so much praise for being strong. And exactly. then I think this is what happens a lot because this is what happened to me. And I, I do see this because I got so much praise for being strong. I was like, okay, well then this is what I need to be in order for people to love me, in order for people yep. to be accepted, in order to have connection with people. And yep. I think that, I mean, I think that happens even to little girls. And yep. um, yeah, it's just, it, it's all good stuff. Okay, so let's talk about another really common topic. And I love, again, that you talk about control in your book. And, and I'm going to 
quote you and you say, we put far more effort into attempting to control our life than we put into taking responsibility to how we react to expectation hangovers. And later in that same chapter, you say, when you stop grasping for certainty, a deeper sense of trust emerges. So mm-hmm. can you talk more about this and maybe some tools to start start reacting in an optimal way? Because this is a tough one. Yeah. Well, I, I, I believe that the number one thing that human beings are addicted to is control. Mm-hmm. And we have a terrible relationship with uncertainty and the unknown. You know, we want to know what's in the future. And if we don't know what's in the future, we go to a psychic. Right. So a tarot reader, which I think they're not cool and everything. But yeah, we want an itinerary. We want, yeah, we want that. <laughs> And, and it's like, no, we want to know, we want to know, we want to know. And so here's the thing, like what I really realized and so much of my, um, my journey has been deepening in my spiritual practice. And, you know, for me, that's, that's a relationship with God. So insert the word universe, higher power, Lord, creator, whatever really works for you. Um, but it, you know, to me, it's, it's sort of indisputable that there's some other force, you know, that it's not just me. And I think when I realized that, and I, I felt that a lot, like after my bathroom floor moment, I was like, wow, like there's sort of a, a bigger force that that's in me that I'm connected to that unites us all, um, that there is some higher power. And it's not like we have no control and like everything's up to like divine plan and all that type of thing. But I do think there's a divine order to things. And my both through my own study and my own experience, I believe we all have our destiny in terms of our soul curriculum. You know, the things we're here to learn. Because from a soul perspective, we're more concerned about the lessons and how we're going to evolve than we are what job we're going to have, who we're going to marry, how many kids we're going to have, all that kind of stuff. That's sort of like the human level stuff that we're concerned about that on a soul level we're, we're not. And so what, you know, we're really kind of here for on more like a spiritual or soul level is to evolve and we do that through lessons. And so I think our free will impacts the situations and circumstances in which we learn those lessons. So the more we attempt to control and do it our way, the more from my point of view, we kind of delay the learning and we sort of get in our own way because, you know, the universe is kind of sitting there waiting for a little space, for a little room for us to like take our hands off the driver's seat and lead us in a different direction. And I know for me, I had to be hit by with a universal two by four. <laughs> Myself included. Yeah. To, to take my hands off the wheel and you don't necessarily have to do that. So my first recommendation would be, you know, even if you're an attorney and or a doctor and you're super logical and you're like, I can't meditate, this, she's gone too woo-woo for me, trust me, there's a part inside of you that's, that's intuitive and that is spiritual. And you can make spiritual mean whatever you need it to mean, but it's basically a connection to a deeper faith where you know, no matter what, you're okay and you're not alone. And, and to come into right relationship with uncertainty, we need that. We need that deeper connection. We need that faith. So the tool is have some kind of meditation practice, some kind of spiritual practice, anything from yoga to transcendental meditation to whatever it is that can help you calm your mind and come into the present moment. Because in that present moment, not only do we have access to our own intuition, but in the present moment, it's impossible to feel anxious. I assure you that if you're feeling anxious about anything, especially something you're not certain of, 
it's because you're thinking about something that hasn't yet happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something you're anticipating or something that you don't have certainty around. And if you can come into the present moment and focus on the now and be grateful for everything you do have instead of obsessing about what you don't have, it again starts to calm the nervous system down so we get more into right relationship with uncertainty. And I have to tell you, like, so much of my career has not been planned. You know, I've really focused on my own personal development of having a foundation of really walking the talk. And the more I get into like the the most authentic version of me and focus on service and also create space, you know, people ask me, what's your year long plan? And I'm like, I don't have one. Like I have some things I think I'm going to do, but I also leave space to see where the universe wants to take me. And it is a way more magical way to live, but we have to make space for it. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love you mentioned it a couple times and that's kind of a challenge I'd love to throw out to the listeners and, and really more so of a powerful question of what is your relationship with uncertainty? How do you how do you get along with uncertainty, girls? <laughs> How's it working out? I yep. would guess probably not very well. But yeah. I, I think it's and I wanna just tag on to that because you know, if I had to put in order, um, because I do a lot of the work based on the research of Brene Brown, and she calls those kind of behaviors armor and pieces of armor that we put on when we're about to step out into the arena. And for me, my number one is control. I've I've always known it, and it's it is a one day at a time practice, right? And I, I people are probably sick of me saying this on the podcast, but I know y'all, and I know that you want the lesson to learn the lesson and be done with it and check it off your list and move on to the next one. And what I see is a lot of women beating themselves up when they're like, damn it, I have been here before. How the hell did I get back here having to practice surrender again and dealing with uncertain, like all this bullshit. And it's just one day at a time. It's really over and over. Yeah, we get, you know, this is another thing I write about in the book. We get do-overs. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes something familiar will come around because there's there's a, there's a deeper level to get to. There's a yeah. deeper level to get to. You know, I can remember, so in my, you know, I told you my 20-something story. In my early 30s, I got divorced, had another massive expectation hangover that really was the inspiration for this book. You know, so so I write books to help myself. <laughs> So do I, girl. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, this really worked for me. So let me, let me write a book. Let me put this out there in the world. Cause I, you know, I remember when I was going through my divorce, um, someone said to me, one of my coaches said, Christine, milk this for all it's worth. And I said, what do you mean? And he's like, there's gold. Don't just get through this, go into it. And so I really, really went and I was like, I have had a breakup before it. And the divorce was a little different because this was not me being dumped. This was more me realizing my marriage had an expiration date and I needed to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really dove in and talk about uncertainty. I was, you know, in my early 30s. I didn't have kids. I didn't, you know, I projected all my financial security onto my husband and I was scared to death. And what, you know, I learned in, because a couple things, I, it was a do-over in terms of a breakup because there was a level I didn't get to when I was working on healing my, my breakup with my fiance. I really didn't get to the core of sort of, um, my own relationship with myself. So there was learning there about being a partner to myself, um, And there was also a deeper learning in dealing with uncertainty. And what I found is that, you know, we hear about leaps of faith and they sound really sexy because you kind of hear the beginning and the end, Mm -hmm. but you don't often hear the middle. And when, when we take a leap of faith, there's a free fall 
you know, there's a free fall into that place of uncertainty. And if we can be willing to be in that place, and yeah, it's scary, and yeah, it's messy, and yeah, it feels chaotic, but it's so rich with learning and healing if we're willing to stop, like, white-knuckling life and Mm -hmm. trying to get control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, for sure, a million times, yes. So let's go to... You know, for people that have really, I know that a lot of people listening are the people that have spent their lives pushing aside their feelings. What advice do you have for them to even start to feel their feelings? Like for the person who thinks that that is so foreign, where does one even start? I know you mentioned some kind of meditation or spiritual practice. Yeah, I would say that meditation spiritual practice isn't the place to feel your feelings because, I mean, if, if you're, well, it, it can be in the sense if you sit in emptiness and just, like, allow whatever to come up to come up, like, it absolutely can be. But sometimes with meditation, people focus on the breath and focus on being calm, that they, it almost can be like another suppression. It can sometimes be spiritual bypass. So you can do meditation with the intention of, all right, I'm just going to allow whatever to come up to come up. Um, so that is one way. You know, I highly recommend um, any kind of, you know, workshop where that's going to be facilitated for you. Um, and I give a lot of tools in the book on how to feel it. And I'll outline, I'll outline one of them, which is release writing, which is very, very different from journaling. And it's when you get a paper and you set, you know, an intention of just like releasing whatever's there for you. And you have to do paper and pen. This is not something to type mm-hmm. because when you handwrite, it accesses your emotional center of your brain. And you also want the physical action of releasing it. So you just sit down and you write, I feel or I'm so angry because or whatever. And you just let yourself freeform write. But you don't like it's It's so fast because you're keeping up with your feelings and your thoughts that you can't even read it. So it looks like scribble. It's just a matter of purging. And you just allow yourself to feel and to write like whatever is coming up for you. So that that is one way. And then also like, if you have a girlfriend, if you have someone that you really trust, someone that you really feel safe with, um, just ask if they can hold space for you and just say, you know, I, I don't want advice. I don't want consoling. I just would love for you to sit in a place of compassion, not sympathy, but place of compassion. And I would just love to share and talk about what I'm feeling. And I may cry and I just really want to be witnessed in that. Because the reason why a lot of therapy and coaching and those things work is because the, the the therapist or the person in the facilitation role is holding a splay, space of no judgment and compassion. Mm-hmm. And when we're witnessed in our feeling uh, with that compassion and with that unconditional love, it helps us, it sort of models for us how to be with ourselves and it creates a space of healing. Mm-hmm. I I think it's so important what you mentioned about having that trusted person that you can go to. And I love that you talked about just prefacing the conversation and and just real quick uh, y'all if you want a link to christine's book and her website go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash five eight and that is the show notes for this episode where you can find all the links that we've talked about and um you know a lot of the work i do is is teaching empathy and i've written a lot about female friendships and how important they are and personally i had to learn how to act in friendships i didn't you know i was not the greatest friend in my 20s it was very surface level and I just I didn't know I was still again like I mentioned I was in a place where I couldn't be with my own emotions so how am I going to be with someone else's but I love that you you said that and I just want to reiterate that of I think what I like to tell people is telling the right person the right story at the right time and 
in coaching, we call this designing the alliance. The Coaches Training Institute uses that, that term, but it's it's absolutely okay and so beneficial to preface the conversation. Just like what Christine just said and say, I'm about to tell you this story and this is really scary for me. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you, if you don't know what to say, just at the end say, I don't know what to say. And I think too, it's a good place for for you as a listener, you know, at another time to, to think about that. You know, when your friend comes to you with a really vulnerable story, how do you react? Do you, do you try to one up her? Do you poo poo the story and tell her she's crazy? Do you, you know, we've all, we've all responded not well. Yeah. We've all responded not well, but empathy isn't something we're born with as a, as a skill. It's a learned skill and it can change everything. It can absolutely change everything. Yeah. Another thing, I, I love what you just said. And another thing in terms of releasing emotion is physically. And, you know, and not, not so much going to the gym because people have too much body stuff attached to that. But a no, dance, you're kidding. You know, <laughs> dance classes or a movement or shaking or art, you know, creativity, just getting a canvas and just like doing whatever clay like that's another way just to move the energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So I want to kind of circle back and, and go back to in the beginning when we were talking about the inner critic and I remember what it what it was that I wanted to say. And I've, I've written about this recently and the title of the post is called What If My Inner Critic Is My Motivator? And it's true. There, I think that there are times where our inner critic can make us change behaviors on a dime. And I know for my audience, there's a lot of high achievers out there who – think that like wait this is the voice that has helped me be so successful but don't you think what i like to say about this is be i feel like that's sometimes swimming in shark infested waters it's like it might yeah. be kind of fun and you know but after a while is dangerous and just what do you what do you think about that oh i think using the inner critic as a motivator is absolutely dangerous because it creates this toxic relationship between you and your inner critic and you you don't trust that you'll get things done if you're not hard on yourself so mm-hmm. we become dependent on getting hard on ourselves um and I love, you know, there's a quote from Michael Beckwith. He says, you know, we're pushed by pain until we're pulled by vision. And often we're, we're kind of pushed with the pain of, of not liking ourselves, being critical of ourselves. Because every human being, like, has some core misunderstanding about not being good enough, not being worthy, not being deserving, like something there, being broken in some way. Mm-hmm. And so we develop this kind of inner critic to, to compensate and to push ourselves and to get things done. And like we've both said, it's very, very, very effective. So instead of being pushed by that pain of not liking ourselves, we have to be pulled by the vision of really, truly loving and accepting ourselves. And one of my favorite tools to use for this is I have a picture of me when I'm a little girl, like three years old, that I have like a a hard copy of that I keep in my morning journal and that I have a picture of on my phone. And when my inner critic starts to get loud, I look at that picture and I'm like, that's who she's being mean to. And we'd never be mean to a child. And there's something about looking at yourself, like a picture of yourself, that just elicits compassion. You know, and you look at yourself as this little girl and you're like, oh my God, that's who I'm telling is not good enough. That's who I'm pushing right now. So it's like, can you be pulled by the vision of being compassionate and loving with yourself? Because the more we are, the more we show up as love to others. You know, when we're so hard on ourselves, again, it creates a block into how much we can love and how much we can serve. And so can you, instead of getting rid of the inner critic, because parts of us, you know, they that, that we don't like or we want to change, if we try to get rid of them, that doesn't work. What we have to do is be like, wow, 
thank you, inner critic, for serving me. Thank you for protecting me. Thank you for motivating me. Thank you for helping me get all these things done. I don't want to get rid of you, but are you open to a new job description? <laughs> like, you're so good at you have discipline, you have follow through, you have focus. Let's see if we can make you an inner coach instead of an inner critic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great exercise. Great. I love that one. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your wisdom with us. And again, yourkickasslife.com forward slash 58 is all of the the show notes and the links that we mentioned here. And Christine, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to say hi? Okay, so there's a couple ways. So if you go to christinehassler.com, you can um, subscribe. Every week I send a blog and a vlog. I've done it for nine years. I've never missed a week, and it's always original content. Um, so it's not markety. It's like lessons, and I'm known for combining spiritual and practical advice. And then, um, you know, I have retreats. I have another one coming up in October, a three-day retreat outside of L.A., and then I do world retreats and all that. That's all on the website. And then I have something really exciting to share. If you actually want to talk to me, I'm launching a podcast. And it's called Life with Coach Christine. And if you go to christinehasler.com slash podcast, you can go in and book a 15-minute laser life coaching session with me. Rad. So, yeah. So if you have like a question or you have something that's come up or you want to connect, just go to christinehasler.com slash podcast. It'll show you how to book the session. And we can like get on Skype or get on the phone and you get 15 minutes of me serving and coaching you. Awesome. And everybody needs to run over there right now and book your session and tell them that you that you were found from here yeah. from the York Cast Life podcast. And I'm I'm excited for you. That's exciting. Congratulations. That's Thank I love you. podcasting. It's Lord knows, you know, it sounds like both of us. Give us a platform to speak and we'll talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again so much. And just real quick, registration is open, you guys, for the retreat in Mexico that I host with Amy and Kira. And the show notes, uh, again, there's links to that. And early bird price ends on the 31st of this month. So if you have been thinking about it, get on it. And until I see you again for the next episode, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.